ReachMD XM157 now presents this month's special series, Exploring Heart Health. Is pediatric hypertension underdiagnosed? Today, a new study aims to find out. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special series on children's health. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, your host, and with me today is Dr. David Kelber. Dr. Kelber is an attending physician in internal medicine and pediatrics at Harvard's Brigham and Women's, Boston Children's, and Massachusetts General Hospitals. He is also the assistant residency program director for Mass General's MedPeds program. Dr. Kelber also has a PhD in biomedical engineering and comes to us today from his office in Boston. Today, we're discussing pediatric hypertension, whether it's underdiagnosed, and a new way to look at it, a new study, which takes aim at the question. Welcome, David. Thanks for uh, being with us. Thank you. Maybe just briefly, before we start, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this business? Sure. So I'm an internist and pediatrician, and what really sort of got me focused on this issue of the underdiagnosis of hypertension in children and adolescents was a couple years ago when I was medical director for a pediatric weight management program. As part of this process, on a routine basis, I would have children referred to me, and in the first visit, I would really do a comprehensive evaluation of all the information we had about the child in our electronic medical record system, as well as doing a complete history and physical on the child. And probably about once or twice a week, I would come across a child, and on this thorough review, I would find that within our system, they had blood pressures that meant that they were hypertensive. However, in further review and really in talking to the the parent about this normally, it had never been diagnosed. The child had never been diagnosed as being hypertensive. And what was interesting about this is, you know, usually when I would have this conversation with parents, the the first comment that the parent would say is, wow, you know, how, how is it possible that my child could have hypertension? I thought that was only a disease that you know, maybe I as the adult would have or, you know, the child's grandparents would have. But then you could sort of see that the discussion would quickly shift and they'd say, but wait a minute, you just told me that my child actually had a hypertension for several years. So how is this possible that you were able to figure this out when, you know, I've been taking my child to lots of other pediatricians and they've never mentioned this to me? So that piqued your curiosity. And in a recent JAMA, you and your co-authors published a paper entitled Underdiagnosis of Hypertension in Children and Adolescents. Let's talk a little bit about that paper and that study. What were your objectives initially in, in putting that together? As I was just alluding to, this whole idea of I had this clinical observation that it seemed in these overweight patients that had been referred to me that there was a, a relatively high prevalence of underdiagnosis of hypertension. You know, from, from that study, or at least from my clinical observation, it seemed like, you know, maybe a third to a half of children that I saw that had hypertension had not had it diagnosed. So then that stimulated the study to say, well, you know, how representative was my clinical observation in terms of all the patients being, all the pediatric patients being taken care of in our healthcare system? So you've got that question, and uh, you went about designing a setting, but you did it a little differently than you may have in the past, or maybe that any of us may have five or ten years ago. Tell us about how you designed this study. Right. So the advantage I have, where I was practicing at the time, was Metro Health Medical Center, which is affiliated with Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio. And within that healthcare system back in the late 90s, 
they had decided to go with an electronic medical record system, the EPIC system. There was a long process of that, but basically started to be rolled out in 1999. And it really made all of the outpatient visits totally paperless. So really, when I thought about the idea for this study, I was able to leverage that resource because all of the blood pressures had been recorded on all pediatric patients since 1999. In addition, because all of the billing was also done within the electronic medical record system, I had rich access to all the diagnosis codes for billing, all the past medical history was in ICD-9 codes, all the family history was in ICD-9 codes. So I really had a complete picture of what was going on with the patients, you know, with all pediatric patients from 1999 forward. This was in an outpatient setting. Were these all attendings? Were there residents? Were there other high-level providers taking these readings? So really all of the above. I mean, the Metro Health Medical System is a large academic medical center, so all the types of providers that you might envision. So there were pediatric attendings, there were pediatric residents, there were MedPeds residents, there were family practice physicians who were seeing children. There were family practice residents. There were a few nurse practitioners, so sort of a whole range. You know, some people that only saw patients, you know, a minority of the time because they either had administrative or research roles, some people who were seeing patients sort of all of the time. So, again, a real cross-section of the type of pediatric providers that see children of all types all around the country. And was there a specific protocol that the system used in uh, measuring blood pressures, uh, where they measured every time, where they measured more than one time at each visit? Right. So again, there was probably variation in this, and we had no way to validate because this was a retrospective of what was actually done. Having said this, the idea was, was to follow the normal standards for checking blood pressures. So the normal standards that exist call for really checking blood pressure for children and adolescents age 3 to 18, at least at all well-child care visits and maybe even at all visits. What we saw in our system is it was generally done for well-child care visits. And usually the process for checking the blood pressure was that the nurse or the, the medical assistant would use a Dynamap, presumably with the appropriate sized cuff. If that blood pressure was thought to be high, then that person at intake was supposed to check it manually. And then if it was still high, then part of the check-in process was that they were supposed to notify the the physician then that, well, you know, on the, the Dynamap or the automatic blood pressure assessment, as well as on my repeat manual assessment, the blood pressure seems to be high with the expectation then that the physician would probably want to, to check the blood pressure a third time themselves. For those of you who are just tuning in, welcome to a special series on children's health on ReachMD, XM157 the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, and I'm speaking with Dr. David Kelber, and we're discussing whether pediatric hypertension is underdiagnosed in a new study which takes aim at the question. David, we were talking about the design and setting of the study. You alluded that the kinds of people that were actually doing the measurements are pretty representative of what's out there in the real world, in the world of pediatrics. How about that protocol that you talked about, repeating studies using appropriate sized cuffs, uh, using a mechanical versus a manual system? Is that representative as well in, in your experience as to what's happening in the real world of pediatric blood pressure measurement? I think so. I mean, in all the practice settings I've been in, this is really representative of the of the protocol that's used. I mean, if you try to look at the gold standard, people really hold out ambulatory blood pressure monitoring. Having said that, at least in my own clinical experience, that's a technique that's very rarely used. 
a lot of people argue that you know manual blood pressure measurements, you know, even in the doctor's office, are more accurate than the automated blood pressure measurements, which I don't disagree with that statement again. But in my practice practice settings that I'm in and have been in, I would say it's almost universal now that the, the automatic blood pressure cuff machine is the, the sort of the first line to assess the, the blood pressure. You emphasize that this is a retrospective review. You looked at medical records. Did you or your staff personally talk to any of the attendings or staff at the Cleveland centers that made these measurements? Or is that necessary in a study like this? I think it is important. The other thing that's really fascinating about this study, you know, as I was designing it and, you know, sort of getting it started and still in Cleveland, and I would say this part carries on as I talk to people about the study here in Boston as well, you know, there's almost always a time when I'm talking to a pediatrician about this. You know, at first they're just sort of transiently interested. And then at some point in the conversation, I can literally see a light bulb go on in their head where they're saying, oh my gosh, this applies to my practice. I do not look at blood pressures on a regular basis and interpret them. I will say, you know, I've literally at this point talked to dozens and dozens of pediatricians about this, and there's one pediatrician that I've run into in all these discussions that says, oh, yeah, I'm sure that's not the case in my practice because, you know, I have the blood pressure tables posted in my practice, and, you know, I try to every single time look. But, you know, this is, again, this is just anecdotal, but this is one pediatrician out of, you know, dozens and dozens I've talked to at this point. What outcome measures did you use? How did you think about tabulating that? Just in brief summary, we looked at all of the the children aged 3 to 18 who'd had at least three well-child care visits in our system. And the reason we picked three is because you have to have three abnormal blood pressure readings to make the diagnosis of hypertension. The reason we picked well-child care visits is, one, because the guidelines really call for blood pressures to be checked at well-child care visits. Two, you know, our assumption was that as a well-child care visit, hopefully the provider is more focused on sort of preventative things, looking at the global picture of the patient, where, as an example, if the child was being seen for an urgent care, even an an emergency department visit, say, for asthma exacerbation or for vomiting and diarrhea, you know, the provider's attention, potentially rightfully so, might not be so focused on, well, you know, does this child have hypertension, because that's really not the presenting complaint. Similarly, there could be comorbid conditions at some non-well-child care visits that could cause a transient elevation in blood pressure. So as an example, if you're presenting with asthma exacerbation, you may have a high blood pressure at that time because of the asthma. Or, you know, you're presenting with a sprained ankle, you might be in pain, and so you have high blood pressure because of the pain. Whereas at a well-child care visit, presumably the these comorbid conditions that might lead to transient high blood pressure are probably less likely to occur. So what we did is once we had that cohort, and it ended up being about 15,000 patients that were seen in our our system over the seven years of the study, representing over 50,000 well child care visits, then we sort of sifted through all of that data to see of all those blood pressure measurements, how many of the children had at least three blood pressure measurements that were in the hypertensive range. And that ended up being about 500 children. So we knew then that these 500 children had hypertension based on the current criteria for hypertension. Then we compared that to was there any documentation in either the diagnosis list, which presumably would be used for billing, or in our electronic medical record, we also had problem lists sort of for ongoing problems as well as past medical history. 
So we look to see if in any of those three areas were there any ICD-9 codes that might point to the idea that the provider had recognized that the child had hypertension. We were fairly liberal about this. So you didn't actually even have to have a, a ICD-9 code of hypertension. We even counted abnormal blood pressure because, you know, at least there we said, okay, well, at least they're, they're thinking about this whole issue. And so then that only ended up being about 125 children that, you know, had any sort of ICD indication of hypertension. So therefore, from our study, which was actually much, much higher than I thought, it really showed that approximately 75% of children who have hypertension, it had never been diagnosed. I want to thank Dr. David Kalber, who's been our guest. We've been talking about whether pediatric hypertension is underdiagnosed in a new study which takes aim at that question. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn. You've been listening to a special series on children's health on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Thank you for listening to this month's special series, Exploring Heart Health, on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals.